Hey, good day, everybody. It's such an honor to be with you today. I want to say to you, it's a privilege to get to share the word with you. And thank you for joining me as we're looking at the book of Exodus. And the title of today's message in our series is Trusting God's Provision. I want to remind you of why we're looking at the book of Exodus by, first of all, um, just again saying, what is the big idea of the book of Exodus? And the big idea of the book of Exodus is God is raising up a nation to live with them and to through them bless all the nations. And so we're looking at the book of Exodus to learn about how to be God's people that can be a blessing to all nations. And we want to apply that in our everyday life, in our what we talk about our front lines, the places where God sends us every day to go and be a blessing to the nations by bringing the gospel and the truth of the gospel to people. Um, so far in our series, what we've done is we've looked at uh, we did, first of all, the first week, an intro in the book of Exodus. Then we did uh, the message on hear God's call, experience God's deliverance was last week. And today it's trusting God's provision. And still to come in our series, we're going to talk about become God's people, build God's dwelling place and encounter God's presence. But for today, we want to consider what it means to trust God for his provision. And... Um, to do that, I want to remind you that the book of Exodus is basically divided into three stages of the journey of God walking with his people to get them out of Egypt into the promised land. And the three stages is, first of all, the, the time that they were in Egypt, where we learn about God's power and where God was teaching the, the Israelites about his power. And that's Exodus 1 to Exodus 15, 21. Then we get the second stage, which is the wilderness period which is what we're going to be looking at today. And that's where they learned about God's provision and also a bit about God's protection. And that's Exodus 15, 22 to 18, 27. And then the rest of the book, uh, which is almost the second half of the book of Exodus, is the period in the Sinai where they're going to be learning about God's presence from Exodus 19, verse 1 to the end, 40, verse 38. So what we're dealing with today is, is that time period, it's a two-month time period, where the Israelites was now uh, passed through the Red Sea, and uh, it's the journey that they were taking to go to Sinai, where the Lord was going to give them His law. But there was a two-month period where the Lord was going to prepare them to be able to receive the law. He, he recognized that they weren't quite ready yet to receive the law. And so for a two-month period, He's going to walk with them, and, and teach them some things so that they would be ready to receive his law at Mount Sinai. Now, um, so often when we talk about the Israelites, we talk about the slave mentality that they had. And we've got to remember that they were slaves in Egypt for somewhere between 86 to 116 years. They were in Egypt for more than 400 years, but the most of that time they weren't slaves. It was for the last 86 to 116 years somewhere that they were enslaved in Egypt and particularly enslaved in a very harsh uh, um, situation and where they were treated very, very unkindly by Pharaoh uh, and the Egyptians, as we spoke about in previous weeks. And... Um, so now we're picking up that God has delivered them from Egypt, but God is wanting to take them to something. And last week when Natasha spoke about deliverance, she made this statement. She said, God delivers us from something to something else. And, and I want to build on that this week uh, and talk about how, how God was setting them free from Egypt and setting them free from 
their slavery and their mentality of slavery to the freedom to be God's people. And uh, you may have heard this saying that often it is said that it took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt, but it took him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. And I'm sure you've heard messages sp- speaking about how God had to deal with their slave mentality. And I think sometimes we we don't recognize the the effect that a prolonged period of slavery has on a on a people, a people group, a a, a person, and uh, therefore we can be a bit glib about it sometimes, and almost be judgmental and be harsh to the Israelites, and thinking that they were out of Egypt now, they should just snap out of it and forget Egypt and just move on, and and you know be be set free from slavery. But I want to I want to read to you what. Um, Wouter Reinfeldt in a 2003 thesis that he wrote, uh, the, the title of the thesis is The Slave Mentality of the Israelites Before and After Their Delivery from Egypt. And he said the following, he said this, Slave mentality is especially, is especially characterized by dependence and passivity. The needs that occupy the mind are daily food and some rest. Other needs like freedom, self-expression, and so on seem to be absent in the behavior of people with a slave mentality. However unpleasant the situation is, it is predictable, it is known, freedom, expected to be the highest desire of slaves, bring also insecurity. To leave a state of dependency where thinking and planning are not needed and are done for the person, and to enter a state of freedom where responsible action and planning is required is not an easy change. The characteristic of slave mentality is that such a change is resisted and that the enslaved state is preferred above the state of freedom. Low self-worth and low self-esteem are also characteristics of slaves. If one has never done anything independent, he will not even believe to have the capability to do such. The next logical step once freedom is given or forced, is that such people will look around them to others to try and copy as much as possible from other people who are also free. The capacity to plan by themselves and to apply principle, principles to, in, to themselves in a practical way has to be developed. While still having a slave mentality, they can be expected to rigidly copy behavior, institutions, and so on from others. And by this we can see that a slave mentality is something like Natasha said last last week. They were enslaved over a period of time. It took a while for them to gradually give up their values and to give up their freedoms to become enslaved. And then they were enslaved for about three to four generations. And it's in that time that the personhood of the Israelites was affected. Their hopes, their dreams changed. In fact, they gave up on a sense of dreams. Their expectations in life became different. They were, remember, treated cruelly and inhumanely. They were dehumanized by Pharaoh. They were they, they experienced a genocide. And you can understand that if somebody tells you you're God's people, but then you go through a genocide, that it may be difficult for you to believe that God is for you, that he wants to bless you. And it may be impossible to think that through you, other nations can be blessed because you would find it so much easier to believe that you're cursed and that you're a curse among the nations and that other nations will curse you and treat you badly. But to think that you will be a blessing and to begin to live life with that expectation, that is a very difficult 
transition to make. That is a very difficult thing for them to believe. And now we find the Israelites having been taken out of Egypt, but that slave mentality is, is lingering with them, which is just logical and, and can be expected of any person. So God, before he could give them his law, is now going to take some remedial steps with them. He's putting them in a time period where he's going to retrain them, always rewire them to restore to them some of the capacity and the ability to, to expect freedom and to begin to learn what freedom looks like before he can give them the law. Because if God gave them the law while they were in, in captured by a slave mentality, that law would just become slavery to them and not the freedom that God intended it to be. So God begins a process. And in this process, one of, one of the main things that God wanted to achieve is to replace Pharaoh as their, their authority in their lives. Pharaoh had been the one that had provided for them daily up until that point for his own reasons, for his own purposes. But God now wanted to teach them that what it means that he is their God and what it means to be under his authority and how to live with him. Just think about it, for instance, how they felt about work. For a hundred years around about, they have literally been worked to death. There was no kindness in their work. There was no, uh, uh, you know, liberty in their work. There was no dignity in their work. Pharaoh literally tried to kill them through working them to death and making it as hard and as difficult as possible for them. And so now God has to, to change their minds and their thinking about work because you and I know that work in the kingdom of God is a blessing. That Adam and Eve was given the task to, to manage the Garden of Eden before this fall of sin. That work is a positive thing. Work is a thing in the Bible that God shares with us that we be partner with him in becoming custodians of that which belongs to him. And, and we become the stewards of God's kingdom by working and reflecting who he is. When God created Adam and Eve and he, and he told them to, to you know, work in the garden, to name the animals, the, their responsibility was to reflect who God is through their work. So our work is worship. Our work is a good thing. But for the Israelites, work had become enslavement. It had become a bad thing. It had become... A terrible thing for them. So God had to begin a process to teach them about work and how good work can be. And um, we see this unfold in this two-month period of time between Sukkoth and the and Mount Sinai. And in this period of time, they four, faced four challenges. They faced the challenges of, on two occasions, they didn't have water. They faced the challenge of no food at Elam. And they faced the challenge of um, the the uh, Amalekites attacking them, and um, through, God used these four um, uh, struggles that they were facing to teach them that He they could trust Him to be the one that provides for them, that they could trust His provision. So let's begin. We're going to pick up the story in Exodus 16, and let's read from verse one. To three, as they are now at Elam, and I'm, we don't have time to look at all four occasions, but let's focus on Elam uh, and, and how God is providing food for them. And through his provision, this provision of food, he's teaching them some really valuable and important lessons so that they can become free. Um, 
Exodus 16 verse 1. The whole Israelites community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the Lord's by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to, to death. Here they are in the desert of sin. Now, a desert is a place of uncertainty and insecurity, particularly when it comes to food, because in a desert, food is hard to find. It's hard to find provision. It's hard to find what are we going to live off. And so they faced with this uh, shortage. They faced with the uncertainty. And in that, in the face of that uncertainty, fear begins to arise in them. And remember last week, Natasha, again, she told us that, that fear is the currency of slavery. And it's the it's what leads to slavery and what causes slavery or that we become the ones that enslave others is by fear and this fear that they have been that, that they've lived with so long as slaves now stands up in them again because they they see that there's there's not enough food there's no food for them and there's no possibility of food and so they must start making the conclusion in their minds that the only thing that is going to happen is they going to die and this is an ideal opportunity for God to show them that he is the provider. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? How when we are faced with shortage and uncertainty, and when that fear starts rising up in us, we lose perspective, we lose truth in a sense. And um, what we see the Israelites do here is they look back at Egypt with rose-tinted uh, glasses, and they suddenly remember Egypt far better than it what it was. Hear this when they say, uh, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Now, that's never what we were told how Egypt was for them. They didn't have relaxed, leisurely time to sit around pots of meat that with meat that was overflowing and they ate as much as they could. That's not what Egypt was like. But yet, compared to what they're facing now, they look back at Egypt and they think it was so much better than the than the, the, the shortage they face now. And isn't that how often we become, uh, even as people of God, we, we can look back at, or look at something and think how much better that would be for us than the challenges we face in our journeys with the Lord. And what they actually do is they begin to insult God and they begin to exalt Pharaoh. They ascribe goodness to Pharaoh and they ascribe evil to God. Where Pharaoh was the one actually trying to kill them, they now say that they were better off with Pharaoh, and they say now God is the one that is trying to kill them. Can you see that slave behavior, that mentality still alive in that? And that's what fear does. Um, we, we lose perspective. We lose the facts. We, we just respond out of fear, and we prepare to, like Esau, sell our inheritance the, the promises of God, and we prepare to give them up if we can just have our immediate need met. And so this is the, the condition they are in. In verse 4 to 5, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And this that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. God now says, I'm going to teach them 
how to live with me as their provider. And I have to teach them by testing them to make sure they learn to obey what I say and do what I say and follow my instructions. Because if they don't, they are going to die. They are going to not make it. They're not going to make it through this journey to the promised land. And even in the promised land, they're not going to make it. They have to learn how to live with me and under my instruction. Now, if that for the Israelites was difficult because they used to live under the instructions of Pharaoh. And it could be that they could think that any form of instruction would be bad for them and is slavery. But God is wanting to teach them that his instructions is for freedom, while Pharaoh's instructions were for slavery. So God begins to teach them that he is their provider. And in a sense, God takes the place of Pharaoh, the one who daily provided for them the food they needed. God now says, I will provide for you every day what you need. And God begins to work, ask them to work with him so that they can begin to trust his provision. But it's interesting that not only does he tell them that every day they have to go in the morning and collect the manna and in the evening the quails and that he will provide for them. But he adds a twist to it, doesn't he? He says to them, but you will only collect for six days. On the seventh day, there will be no manna. So on the sixth day, you have to de deliver twice as much or collect twice as much. You see, this is a very important thing that God is teaching them here, that God is teaching them that the value of rest and the importance of rest. Because in, as a slave in Egypt, there was no rest for them. They were worked to death. There was no rest. As, the, as we read earlier in that thesis, the two main things that slaves desire is provision and a little bit of rest. Not only did they want daily food, but they also wanted to have rest time, family time. Time to, to just sit around, to spend time with each other. And God now says to them, you have to know that my provision on six days of work, I will provide enough for the seven days of your life. But as much as you need to work, you need to rest. To rest in God is to trust God. If we, if we don't trust God, we can't rest. If they didn't learn that they could actually trust God to provide for them for a whole day, that they didn't have to work on that day, they would never ultimately trust God. They had to learn that God can provide enough in six days so that they can rest on the seventh day. You see, otherwise work can become slavery again. Even if we are working for ourselves, isn't it amazing how people can work and, and believe that they can never take a break? You are, so often in our communities and our society, you speak to people and, you, and, and, and they say, oh, I so need a rest, but I can't. I don't have time. I can't rest now. And I know there's sometimes that's true. And sometimes you, you at work or in, in your life, there's a particular time. But the problem is it becomes the way of life. We never have time to rest. Even if we're working for ourselves, we don't have time to rest. And that may sometimes show something of a, of a lack of faith and a trust in God for his provision that he can provide enough for us in, in six days of work that we can actually rest a seventh day. They could afford to rest. 
because God is their provider. And rest became part of what God was busy building into them and building into their lives. But we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about that a little bit more just now. Let's read verse 6 to 8. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Moses had to, to know that even though the people were fighting with him and Aaron, they were actually displaying their lack of trust in God. And God is showing them that he is their provider. And, and, and it is God's glory that provides for us because we must recognize that God doesn't just provide. He is a provider. He is the origin, the source, the creator, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. In him we live and move and have our being. God, wherever God goes, he provides. Where God goes, there is no lack. Where God goes, there is no desert. Where God goes, there is no barrenness. Because where God goes, life bursts forth. Life explodes. Life is given wherever God goes because that's who God is. Unless God withdraws life willingly from something, where God goes, He is the provider. He is the giver of life. And God, it is God's nature. It is God's character. It's like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 54 verse 1 where he said, Save me, O God, by your name. The name of somebody displays their character. We are saved by God's character, who God is. God is a provider. And God wanted the Israelites to know that he is their provider, that as long as they live with him, they will be provided for. As long as God is in the vicinity, as long as God is amongst them, they will have all they will need. But there is no actual provision outside of God. If, if I collect today, I will have for today because God is with me today. I can't collect for tomorrow and think that tomorrow I don't need God. I can live away from God tomorrow because I, I can live off today's presence of God and provision of God. God is teaching them that we, we cannot have provision without God because he is the provider. Therefore, we need to daily live in his presence and allow him to daily provide for us. He was going to provide for them the bread in the morning and the, and the, and the meat in the evening. Pharaoh provided to them daily, but Pharaoh provided to them because it suited his needs. Pharaoh provided for them daily food because he needed them to work for him. And as only as long as they were able to work for him did he provide for them. He only cared for, or looked after them because that is what made him be glorified. Now, God is saying, while Pharaoh, for his glory, worked you to death through slavery, God is saying to them, I'm going to work with you for your freedom. And in your freedom and expression of your freedom, you will glorify me. But you can't have that freedom without me and without my provision. God loves us. God is good to us. His provision does not enslave us. 
But because we are his children, he provides for us. We don't deserve God's provision. We get God's provision because we are his children. We belong to him. We don't work for his provision. We work because of his provision. Because he has provided for us, we can work and we work in his provision. His provision and is our partnership with him. It's a beautiful thing that brings to freedom. And it is therefore that we can rest and work. And in our, in our discipleship, we use the life shapes. And one of the life shapes is the semicircle, which talks about this pendulum that swings in our lives, this rhythm of a pendulum that moves between rest and work. And we often talk about how as, as believers in the kingdom of God, we need to have a healthy rhythm of rest and work, of Sabbath, of abiding with God that leads to an expression of giving, of living, of expressing who he is through our work. We always say we work from rest. We don't rest from work merely. We work from rest. What that means is there's a rest in our lives because of who God is, because he's our father that provides for us because we're his children. We rest. Our work is not anxious. Our work is not stressful in him. Um, it, our work is coming from that place of, I am God's child. I'm his beloved. He provides for me. And because of that, I can express his kingdom through my work. And I can express and I can work from a sense of peace, from a sense of, of knowing that he's got me, that he's my provider. And as I do that, I, I, I co-create with him. I become a creator through my work with him because I'm expressing him. The more I abide with him, the more I can express him. And the more his blessing will be on my work because my work is not merely for survival, but it is for creation. And, and that's why we're different on our front lines. Even the way we work, how we work, the, our attitude towards work is different as Christians than to the world. Everybody else is working to just try and make ends meet, to get a salary, to perhaps have more than what they need so that they can have leisure time and, get, and afford to rest and go on holiday. And we work differently. We work from a place of God is our provider. Everything we need is in him. And he's with me every day. And I get to, through my work, express who he is and co-create with him out of his provision. How does that change your attitude towards your work and towards the rest that God wants you to work from? In Exodus 16, verse 17 to 20, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, them, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it till morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. God had to teach them that his presence with them, him living among them, will give them just what they need. And he taught them this through the measurement of the of the of the manner when they collected it they were to collect an omer now how much is an omer an omer in measurement is a is around three and a half liters but that's not how much an omer is you know how much an omer is a omer is just enough not too little not too much the scripture here says some gathered much some gathered little but when they measured it the one who gathered much did not have too much 
and the one who gathered little did not have too little. They, their economy didn't work on the basis of measuring that everybody got the same. This is an interesting thought in terms of, of justice and in terms of you know, equality um, and equity. The, the issue was not that everybody must have the same. The issue was that everybody had what they needed. Nobody had too much. Nobody had too little. God provided for them what they needed. And that's how God's economy works. God provides for us what we need. When we're with God, we need nothing more or we need nothing less than God. God is all we need. And he is our provider. Because he is the provider, everything I need in him is what I need. If I have more than I need, there's a purpose for that. Remember, God said he will bless them to bless the nations. If God gives you more than what you need, it's so that you can be a blessing to the nations. God's going to give you more than you need on your front line so that you can be a blessing to others, so that you can help others, so that you can reflect the nature of God to others. And through us, as Paul writes to the Corinthians, much praise will be given to God because of our overflow. God is the God that gives you the omer that you need. Exactly what you need. And we trust him daily. The writer of the Proverbs put it so nicely when he said in Proverbs 30, verse 7 to 9, he said, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. And then the second thing he says, he says, the second thing I ask of you, Lord, is give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That's what happens with us. If we have too much, we think we don't need God. We forget that I need to live every day with God because he's the only provider that can provide for me. That I can't live to, today off yesterday's provision because I want God every day, every day with me, living with him. If I don't have, then I may think I must provide for myself in ways that is not partnering with him, in ways that is not cooperating with his law and his nature and his characteristic. God's nature is not the nature of a thief. That's the nature of the enemy. The, the enemy is the thief. That is his nature. God's nature is the giver, the provider. And if I have too little, I may be tempted to take on the nature of the thief that 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 takes away from somebody else. But God, I need your provision daily. And isn't that what Jesus taught us in Matthew 66 verse 11 in the Lord's Prayer? Give us today our daily bread. Our daily bread means, God, I need you today. I need you every day. Nobody's entirely sure what the word manna actually means. It is a unique word that is to, that came to describe this sweet wafer-like coriander substance that they were eating. But according to the scholars, the best translations we actually have for that word manna is literally, what is it? What is it? What is this? When they picked it up the first time, they asked the question, what is this? You see, God's provision, we have to understand, 
is outside of our reference. It's outside of our frame of reference. It's more than what we can think. It's beyond our capacity to even dream, as the scripture says, to imagine that is God's provision. Whenever you come in contact with God as the provider, his being causes us to go, what is this? Not only the type of provision that he gives, but the provision itself is beyond us. The fact that God would do this for the Israelites. The Israelites that were so used to being worked to death, that grew up in a world system that dehumanized them, that that abused them, when they saw God's provision coming for them, freely delivered at their door with no enslavement, they said, what is it? And you and I must know when God provides for it, it's that same thing. What is this? Lord, how is it possible that you can provide for me? Who am I that you can provide for me? The little that that I think I deserve. You blow my mind because you provide. And, And God is a provider and he's got options in his provision that you and I can't even begin to think about it. You may think you know how God will provide, but God always has ways that will surprise you. That's outside of your frame of reference. That is outside of what you may think is possible. And from our perspective, it looks supernatural, but from God, and it is supernatural, but from God's perspective, it's just who he is. That is his ability. That is his creative power. He has no limits to what he can do and how he can provide for us because that is him expressing who he is. God is your provider. The question is, can you and I trust him to be our provider? Can we live in this world trusting that God is our provider, trusting that every day with him, he is will provide for us, that we can rest in his provision, that we can work not to work ourselves to death and to be abused by a world system, but to actually work to express who he is and to be the co-creators of his kingdom, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, because we live in a different way and from a different place. God is not enslaving you. God is setting you free and he's using work to do that. Isn't it beautiful how carefully he walks with the Israelites here? In this two-month remedial period where he comes and teaches them how to trust him. It's the lesson you and I have to unfortunately learn over and over and over is that God can be trusted. In every little thing in my life, God can be trusted. I can live with him and he will provide for me. His provision by and large comes through my work through my hands. And remember, when we talk about work, we're not talking about employment merely. You know, when I'm a dad, I work as a dad. When I'm a husband, I work as a husband. Work is our application. It's our giving our energy to something. Wherever we work, we do so because we're reflecting who God is and it is worship unto him. Let's work with freedom. As we're doing in our series, we have two activations that we would like you to consider over this week. Um, as we continue to trust the Lord, and I'm going to ask you to continue to read with us through the book of Exodus and to continue to read and look on our social media pages and and see what we're reading as a community this week. And on our website, you can see what we're reading. But our two activation questions for this week is the, the inward question is, recall a time God provided for you and share that story with someone. 
express God's creative providing power for you and tell it to somebody else. Then our outward question is, what provision do you need from God on your front line? And by provision, I don't just mean materially. Where are you tapping into the overflow of who God is in your life? That you can have the overflow of energy, the overflow of compassion, the overflow of life, of creativity, of initiative, of vision, of of just empathy, whatever it is. May we, out of the overflow of God's creative, creative provision for us, recreate life on our front line. Thank you for joining me. I want to pray with you and ask the Lord to bless you in this week as you trust him to be your provider. Thank you, Lord, that you are our provider, that we can trust you for your provision. And I pray for every person that's with me here today. And I trust you, Lord, that they will experience you and your creative provision for them and that they will with you recreate and co-create with you life on earth, wherever you have placed them on their front line to see the kingdom come, to see your creative provision expressed in this world. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. And where there's need amongst us, Lord, I pray for your provision. I pray, Lord, that there will be trust, faith that will arise within us to trust you, to not be tempted to make our own way against your law or to not have overflow and think that we don't need you but to live with you every day. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a fantastic week.